2: For Travis Whitmore in North Liberty, Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC.
3: Hello, welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on, yeah, I'm off to a great start on hawkfanatic.com. Uh, I am Rob Howe, still, and that's Scott Docterman, if you're on the YouTube uh, with me. And we are the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. We were not able to get together last week. We had talked the previous week about getting together, but just a lot of stuff going on. Scott was in Indianapolis. We had stuff going on back here with players, football players, basketball games, things like that. So we're not able to get to, I was in Des Moines for girls state basketball. It was a busy week last week, so figure we could get together today and pretty good timing with uh, some big news. Today, and uh, a lot of news going around in a lot of Iowa athletics, basketball, wrestling. Uh, We will probably table a lot of, like, the Big Ten preview for the men's tournament. Scott and I are going to get together on Wednesday, so two days this week where we'll, we'll not be at our normal time after not doing it last week. Regularity will return with spring football, I think, at least I hope. But at this point, uh, Wednesday morning works for us because I have to leave Wednesday afternoon for Chicago uh, for the Big Ten tournament. So all that stuff, um, a lot of the basketball and wrestling will push to Wednesday. We're going to talk a lot of football today. The uh, racial discrimination lawsuit, Scott's time at the Combine, uh, us getting some players last week. So we're going to be football-centric today. Uh, but big congrats, and Scott will agree, to the Iowa women, women's basketball team, two-time now defending Big Ten tournament champions, and uh, the number two ranking, Scott, in the AP poll.
1: What an awesome week for them, and it was in a tremendous cap. I mean, you talk about it, you know, and, and I, I, am glad we're going here, Rob. I really am. I mean, I, there's a lot to talk about off the field, but let's, you know, and off the court, but let's, I love the, the fact we're going here with 105 to 72 winning the big 10 and the way they did it is dominant as I've seen any game. I kind of joked to my wife during the game. I said, this was kind of like in reverse of the football game. I went to between Iowa and Ohio state. Uh, but uh you know, you had a triple-double <laughs> from Caitlin Clark in the Big Ten championship game, the 10th of her career, which continues to extend her, her Big Ten record, men's or women's basketball. But they played at such a high level. They beat a very good Maryland team. They beat a very good Ohio State team. Last week, a week ago, we were talking about the incredible shot and game against Indiana. So this is, uh, they're 26-6, and six, but when they're playing at a level like this, you might see them on the final uh, the final game night, I think. They are that good. And and so, um, you know, hats off to Lisa Bluter. You know, they were a game out for the Big Ten title. They did have a lot. They did play a more difficult schedule than I think most of the teams did. I'd have to go line by line. But they had to play Indiana twice. They had to play Maryland twice. I mean, they were playing good teams throughout the season. So the fact that they were able to do it get all the way through the tournament and uh, and play as efficiently as they did, it says a lot about this team.
3: Yeah, it will be interesting to see uh, whether they're the one or two seed when the pairings come out on Sunday or Monday. Is it Monday for the women? Do they do it the day no, after?
1: It's actually going to be Sunday night. Sunday, okay, yeah, cool. It'll be like I like that they do it on the same day. Yeah, I remember when they used to do it at like Monday night at like yeah. 6 and – and uh, didn't uh, Lisa used to go to Bob's your uncle? <laughs> yeah. I miss Bob's your uncle. Yeah, something like that on the north side. So, <laughs>
3: But, uh, yeah, yeah um, I think what it, what it did do, Scott, is probably kept them at, away from South Carolina mm-hmm. before the final four. Um, what they were able to do this past weekend, whether they're the number one two seed or one of the one seeds, uh, they'll be home and they'll avoid – uh, the monster that is in the dark.
1: Yeah, and that's a good thing. And I'm sure that's what, you know, women's basketball seating has always been a little bit different than it has been for uh, the men. The men it kind of, you know, as long as you're not in the same conference, they could care less if there's or could not care less if there's, hey, look at this Missouri versus Kansas or, you know, is playing one of his old teams. They don't care about any of that. And women's basketball, what they try to do is, um uh, you know they they try to get their good teams good matchups or um uh, most popular teams and I think that's when you look at Iowa they would love to see Iowa go as far as humanly possible with Caitlin Clark because she is a ratings killer I mean just absolute awesome in that regard um you know what there was almost 700,000 viewers for the Indiana Iowa game a regular season game and then you had uh yeah, you know on the on the road I documented it before, but yesterday they set a record at the you know for single session you know with the championship game attendance and then on the road over average Iowa averaged you know 3600 more people at opposing re- venues than what their, those teams at regular average was. So I think Iowa stays away from South Carolina as long as possible. Maybe when they get to the final four, they might have to play them there if they get to the final four, but regardless um, hell of an accomplishment and it's now back to back for the, for the Iowa women.
3: Yeah, I agree. Really nice accomplishment. And, you know, Overcame the disappointing of, you know, losing the regular season title late in the season and refocused and really looked like it was playing some of its best basketball this week or last week up in Minneapolis. The men, uh, disappointing loss on senior day to Nebraska yesterday. Uh, Hawkeye's get the fifth seed and await the winner of Wednesday's Ohio State Wisconsin game. Iowa will play roughly 130 central at the United Center Center on uh Thursday uh, in Chicago Uh, and then wrestling uh, finished second to Penn state. Uh, Not a, not a terrible weekend at all Two big 10 championship or two big 10 champions in Spencer Lee and real woods. And uh, Patrick Kennedy made the the, uh, final and, and had a really nice account of himself. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday, just kind of what we learned from that and, you know, what the nationals look like moving forward. Um, well, let's dig in on uh, today's settlement, Scott. I think that's what most of the uh, Hawkeye world is talking about today. Uh, racial discrimination uh, lawsuit brought by seven former Hawkeye football players was settled today. Um, I know you wrote a piece on this. Why don't you just kind of highlight what happened and kind of what um I don't know what it means, but just kind of what came out of this. I know the, the biggest sticking point right now is that taxpayer money is being used to pay this. And my guess is if you were to do a straw poll, most people that live in this state would not be happy with that. Absolutely. They're not, they're not
1: happy. And I I completely agree with them on this. I mean, this is, this is a university of Iowa issue. This is a football issue an athletics department issue, but it's not a state of Iowa issue. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your um, rooting interest is. I mean, let's face it, you know, half the state at mo. you know, half the state doesn't even care about the Hawkeyes. They don't know whether Cyclones or Panthers or whatever, but to now be, in, you know, it's a drop in the bucket, $2 million to the state of Iowa, but it's still enough to where this is going to bring people to, you know, anger. And I, I received most of the information in the, in the court filings on Sunday. I knew this was coming. It was just a matter of finalizing it. And I think, uh, and what it is, is the, the University of Iowa and State Board of Regents will pay $4.175 million to 12 former players – and cover their attorney's costs and court costs. Um, Each one of the the players will receive a little less than $200,000 pre-tax. The attorneys will receive about half that settlement, which is what everybody expected. Um, All of the defendants were dismissed, so they cannot be refiled, the charges. That's something that they... They did not want to have. They wanted it to go to trial at this point because they feel like that they will be painted as, um, you know, as, as wrongdoing. This is not an admission of wrongdoing. This is according to to the way that they are, um, you know, categorizing it. I suppose and and uh, you know what it is. And let me kind of find the uh, the, the the characterization is that it's it's mainly for. Uh, physical harm, potent, and potential for physical harm, not for racial uh, situations, and and I think the, the uh, we could we could cut a lot of different ways on that. Um, they were sued based on racial discrimination, um, at you know through the Hush Blackwell report, it was proven to be. So you know there was discrimination, if not certainly racial insensitivity, um, was did it affect or impact the the plaintiffs? I don't know, um, but either way, that the University of Iowa pushed for the settlement, got the settlement, and uh, the the coaches are no longer part of uh, the lawsuit, so they are not you know wiped with that.
3: Yeah, but I think with what you would agree is, and and the reason if they did want to go to trial, it's because it's the football program. You can attach the names to it or detach the names from it. We We all have followed this, and this resulted from... Mm -hmm. Two racial bias investigations that found racial bias in the football program, Mm -hmm. uh, the internal and the Hush Blackwell. And I said this last week, and I'll kind of summarize and let you kind of give more of your thoughts on it. For me, like last week, Scott, and I know you were paying attention to this in Indy, there were victory laps being done by people that wanted the coaches cleared of wrongdoing. Uh, Today, I retweeted Akram Wadley, who seemed like he was doing a victory lap. There are no winners here, and I said this on the mailbag last week, and I gave my thoughts there, and if people want to go back and listen to that, fine, I'm going to give Scott the bigger stage here. To me, this was terrible. This was racial discrimination in the Iowa football program. It's been proven. Two two reports found it. Um, None of this stuff is good, and it's sad. And um, the the whole point, and I think we go back to 2020, Scott, is we wanted – to see these things fixed and progress being made. And I hope that it is because we've had uh, a former player committee. We had a, you know, we we had drama with that. And now there is no more oversight there. Um, There is some at the university, but you've also got a political climate in this state where they're trying to suppress some DEI stuff. It's, To me, like I said, if people want to hear more in-depth thoughts, they can read, you know, listen to the the uh, mailbag from last week. This, to me, was just unfortunate and really just a bad look for the University of Iowa.
1: It has been for several years. I mean, you know, let's face it; it's it's something that you know came about. uh, You know, it came to light for sure the weekend, the first weekend in June of 2020 when dozens, you know, more than 50 players, I think, over the course of a day or two came out. uh, Most of them of color came out uh, against some practices by the athletics department and what they felt like that there was some discrimination. And I think, as you said, uh, internal investigation and certainly the Hush Blackwell confirmed that there was. And we can, we will all, all of us can deduct what what we believe is racist versus what we believe is not racist um that's never going to change no none of none of us have the same opinions when it comes to this topic and none of us ever will because to what somebody may feel is racist other people may feel is not and it's to belittle anybody for their opinion in this matter is is going to be is a futile exercise let's put it that way uh, but I, I think definitely I've
3: definitely <laughs> learned that the last three years or
1: three years. Right. So, you know, my opinion is that I don't care that I'm not going to give an opinion because I just don't think that it's, it's right now prudent for me to say, whether I think this is, well, what they're, what they did there was wrong and what they're doing now is right or vice versa. <laughs> I mean, what I can say is based off of this that I do know the coaches wanted to fight the coaches, uh, they wanted or to be completely cleared and vindicated. Um, and through this, there, the attorneys understood that they weren't going to be able to settle this with the, the coaches. So it in turn, and the University of Iowa wanted to settle it, period. And um, it just turned out that this was the way that they felt like they could get the settlement, dismiss the, the coaches. But as you said, Rob, everything here is, it's is—it's—it's the end of a real, uh, I don't want to use a bad analogy, it's the end of a real troubling era for Iowa football, and when it comes to this issue, and it, it took years to get to that point, and it's going to take, you know, forever before, you know, way past our lifetimes on this planet, before it, reaches a point where you can say it's harmonious and I don't ever think it will. And that's the way it is in our country too. Uh, I do think it's, um, it, it's interesting. The settlement included basically split between the university of Iowa and the state of Iowa. And because the regents were part of the settlement and the fact the state is going to pay part of that settlement is really, um, um, you know, it's, it's very much a polarizing part of it. Um, as you said with Akram, you know, he feels, I'm sure vindicated to some extent, uh, the 12 players who were involved in the settlement will feel like their voices were heard. They were recognized for mental or physical pain and suffering and the varying degrees, maybe they were involved in that. Um, The court agreed. The the University of Iowa agreed, Um, but they, where I look at somebody like Akram, that makes this really unfortunate, is that Akram had the potential to have, kind of like Marvin McNutt in the Cedar Rapids area, he had the potential to be a popular figure in the state of Iowa, and now that that's not going to happen, you know, he's not playing pro football. And he's not going to be able to come back here and um, live on his name image of likeness. So I don't know that there aren't any winners here. It's really unfortunate, but I don't know. I'm kind of going a winding road here, but I think it's a, it's a topic that there will be no shortage of opinions and they will be all over the place. And it's just a matter of trying to figure out to what degree um, you want to let- Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but
0: not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean, all combined into one menu, Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year. Or visit online at ArisaIC.com.
3: Yeah, and that's kind of, we don't know everything that happened. Uh, all You know, you and I have both talked to a lot of former players and have heard a lot of different stories. And, uh, you know, ultimately, Scott, if one player was discriminated against, that's too many Mm -hmm. based on the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. It's 2020, 2023, even last decade. It's unfortunate. And we're seeing this, you know, in a bigger picture in this country. And I'm not getting political here, but this is kind of a microcosm of what's going on around the country. And I think if anything good comes out of this, it's that people will think, Am I being racially biased? Maybe talk to somebody who gets discriminated against and say, you know, try to learn and try to understand other people better. And what makes, you know, what you may say that you think, "Ah," because the people to me that say, ah, I didn't mean it. It doesn't matter what you mean, man. If you're saying something to somebody that is, you know, historically racially biased, you've got to address that and acknowledge it. And that's, to me, if anything good comes out of this, it's that the Iowa football coaches are more aware of it, Uh, the people in the state, the people at the university, people are more aware of what happened, why it happened, and find ways to make it better, as you said, Scott, over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take time, but keep pushing towards making it the best it can be for everybody in that football program.
1: No question. And I think, you know, this, this is all responsive to different cultures and different backgrounds, and it's not just white, black, it's all of them. Right. And, and, and it's because, you know, there's a big variance between Tristan Wirfs and Kayvon Merriweather. You know, and even though both are African-American, one's from Detroit and one's from Mount Vernon, Iowa, Uh, just like same thing with uh, a white kid from the Chicago suburbs and one that's from Southwest Iowa. They all have different backgrounds. They all have been around different people, have different experiences, react to things differently. And I think if there's one thing that not only on racial grounds, but I think holistically and big picture wise is that when the kind of the, the the lead sentence for me always from the Hush Blackwell report is, you know, fostering a culture that's um, that's not demeaning, you know, but it's demanding. I think that is that is fair for the program, but I think too many times it was demeaning to too many people, and by proportion was much more demeaning to African Americans uh, based on whether it was their, the, not necessarily the color of their skin, but a lot of the things that they um, traditionally, whether it's an attire or, or they're listening to their um, hair, those types of things. And so getting through this potentially, even though the you know, last three plus years has been really difficult for everybody, I would say that $4 million, is probably a small price to pay if you make it a better place for now and in the future. I believe Iowa football is in, is in a much better place today than it was two and a half years ago. Is it in a great place? I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to wager that. I think it's in a better place. And I think you look at the numbers, the transfer portal numbers. Um, Iowa's done a nice job there because many of the players that you would think. If it was unwelcoming, now you have the opportunity to leave, no questions really asked. And the majority have stayed. I mean they're second right tied for second right now and lowest attrition after last year. The year before they were by far the lowest in the big 10. So it does suggest that there is some progress being made. Um, and this is the end of a, of a tough chapter. They have to move forward. This is going to take a hit. Because no matter what you do, you will be painted with this brush. And uh, and you have to accept it, move on, and explain why and how. And uh, that that's the difficulty going forward. But it's not something that they can't get past.
3: Obviously, a tentacle of this, Scott, is the Gary Barta tentacle. Um, past lawsuits, settlements, um, you know, Big part of the story today was State Auditor Rob Sand basically calling for BARDA's job if um, the taxpayers were going to foot half of the bill. Uh, you watched the uh, appeals hearing uh, a little bit ago. Uh, I should tell people this is Monday, March 6th. We're uh, about 2.35 Central time right now. Um, but I guess two-part, I guess it's agreed upon that taxpayer money is going to pay half of this and the other question I would have for you is, what does this mean for Gary Porter? Because it, it's another black eye um, for him and his, uh, his career as the Iowa Athletic Director.
1: I, I think this is going to be difficult for him to overcome in the big picture, Rob.
3: Um, what think- was said in this hearing, you mentioned that to me before we started recording, kind of some of the feedback that these people had.
1: Yeah, um, you know, Rob Sand, you know, said that he just does not think he could support this uh, without, you know, in, institutional trust and accountability. And I think that's that. And he brought up many of Gary's past issues, and there are many, um, you know, and he's been on the job for 17 years. So that does tend to happen. But I think when you look at specifically dealing with legal issues, Title IX, gender discrimination, racial discrimination, that they are piled up. Um, and then the two other people who spoke, and unfortunately I didn't get their names, so I would have to go through a, different, a bunch of different ways if I wanted to try to quote them directly. Um, but there was not, they, uh, they believe that there needs to be serious conversations With the University of Iowa regarding, and and one uh, said that they need to re-examine its relationship with Gary Barta, the University of Iowa does, and um, they ultimately voted for the settlement because, again, if they go to court, that uh, they said that the legal fees could jump another, you know, potentially two million dollars, and they could also lose <laughs> and yeah. they could also pay more you know so this is something that uh they felt like it was not also in their uh prior in their charge as as a you know appeals board to um to make these kinds of claims that they will not approve something if there are no job status and and rob shot back as you'd expect and he said look a lot of times i would ask you know what happened to the snowplow driver and why were you paying this, uh, you know, that uh, he was removed. And in this case, that, that is some of the, the, the situation, but I think when we look at, you know, in particular, you know, dealing with, with Gary Barta over the years, there are some things that have been in, you know, within his control and some things outside of his control. And I think when you look at the Jane Meyer situation, a lot of that was put with the, you know, he was, you know, Sally Mason told her, told him to fire Tracy Griesbaum. It wasn't something he wanted to do, but he had to do and he had to own. So then um, Jane Meyer getting transferred out of the athletics department and then ultimately having her job eliminated did smack and reek of retaliation, even if that wasn't what it was meant to do, it was. And ultimately paying $6.5 million, which depleted the, the university, the athletic department's reserves, which as we know, three years later, it's sorely needed, mm-hmm. um, was gone. And in the meantime, you know, there there was a Title IX review that was uh, requested by field hockey players. And they went through that. Then in 2020, um, they... Just 10 days after football was canceled, there was a, you know, he eliminated four sports, one of which was women's. Iowa has never been in Title IX compliance. And in fact, most universities are not. Um, But as long as you continue to make progress, um, that does not necessarily lead to, to lawsuits or other damages. Well, even though the scholarship situation was tilted a little bit more heavily towards men, they were still out of compliance and therefore had to go to court. $400,000 $400,000 um, cost them, um, you know, and the legal damages they had to pay. Plus they had to reinstate women's swimming and add another women's sport on top of it. And, you know, and what I, and one of the, the rulings from the judge, Judge Rose, a district court judge was that you know, financial hardship is not a defense in title nine. And to, to make that decision after 10 days, Rob, was, the, the epitome of shoot, ready, aim, <laughs> I
3: mean, yeah
1: you know, th- there was no, Hey, let's, let's see what happens here. And then of course the bedside manner was something that was really um, questioned by those athletes of those four sports that were told about it. Um, it was kind of like, okay, I'm doing this and that's it and um, left them all hanging. And uh, you know, and then we talk about this situation, which in of itself is, you know, Gary Barta is in charge of the athletics department, Rob. And, and he was part of it. When you have, when you gave football that much power and whether it was Rabdo, that could have been, that could have been shut down. Then he could have drove the line in the sand and said, no more, no more Chris Doyle. We're not going to do this. Uh, Backed him up, let him be their own fiefdom. And then later on, uh, you know, when James Daniels went to him to discuss the issues in advance, not much was done. And then this all happened. So it was on his watch. So, and then, and then there were other issues over the years. I mean, I think the criticism over contracts given to Kirk Ferentz multiple times, 10 year contracts, Fran McCaffrey's eight year contract within a $10 million buyout in the year where Iowa was in last place. Um, Peter Gray was brought up, you know, the situation involving an academic advisor and, um, you know, who was, uh, you know, inappropriate and suggestive and and even uh, had touched inappropriately athletes. You know, there there are a lot of issues and those issues will happen in an athletics department over a long period of time. But um, I think a lot of some of these are self-inflicted. And that's really where it starts when you start talking about 11 plus million dollars in lawsuits since 2017 uh, and that you're losing. It's, it's probably fair to have this kind of conversation.
3: And time will tell time will tell if he survives this. Um, I, <laughs> there have been times before at some of the lists that Scott went down where I didn't think he would, um, but I don't know. He, he, um, He has survived in the past, and uh, it's kind of like like you said, Scott, how you framed it. He's in charge, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think he has trouble um, managing people he's supposed to manage for whatever reason. And we can go through the Brian Ferentz, him being his, you know, what do you call it, Um, main – Supervisor supervisor, so. yeah. He's the he's charged by Ferrets. Yeah. Um, you know, the James Daniels uh situation you mentioned where after that internal report found racial bias, James Daniels mm-hmm. tried. He went to Gary Bardett, sat in his office and said, Something needs to be done here. Jordan Lomax, mm-hmm. same thing. They were telling these folks. Gary Barter being the main – because it's his – he's the athletic director. People were going to him and saying, you need to address this, and he just – he didn't do enough. He didn't do enough.
1: And, you know, one of the things that I think
3: over time,
1: one of the things you could criticize Gary Barta for, and maybe it's just his personality, is that when he has somebody who is maybe a little bit more naturally aggressive in the way that they communicate – it is um, he backs down and he was that way with Jane Meyer over for several yeah. years. He's been that way with Kirk and, and cause Kirk is more powerful than he is. And, you know, and, and sometimes you could say that even with Fran McCaffrey. And I think it's in some ways, that's what has led to this, that instead of being, I'm the boss and you need to do this because I told you to do this versus OK, you can do it. And and then there are other criticisms, whether it's not forcing Kirk to force out coaches in the past or um, not forcing Fran McCaffrey to do things differently. you and, uh, and, you know, and and that's more up for debate. But but this is, uh, you know, again, he's in charge of this athletic department. He's, I think, fifth in overall tenure among power five athletic directors at one institution. And so. These all come back to him. And, you know, it, what is strange and somewhat ironic that we talk about it on a day like today is that athletically, the department may have never been better.
3: <laughs> you yeah. know,
1: the women's basketball team is at an elite level. Men's basketball team's going back to the tournament again. Uh, and, was an upset loss away from being a number two seed in the big 10 tournament, which it won last year. The baseball team is off to the best start. I, I don't know record wise if it's the best start, but I'll tell you this. I am not seeing them go down South and sweep three teams. And then the weekend before beat the number one team in the country and a you know, football is in a healthy place. It won eight games last year, went to the transfer portal. It to me is the favorite in the West division. And you look at track, and how good it is, and field hockey, and all these other sports. Athlete, competitively, it's as good as it's ever been, and it's healthy financially. But is that because of the athletic director, or is that because of the, the coaches in the, in the system? And I think most people would agree that it's the coaches in the system. It has less to do with the athletic director.
3: In his defense, he did hire the coaches.
1: Somewhat. did Some hire them didn't hire Kirk, didn't hire Lisa, didn't hire Tom Brands. Bowlesby made that really tough decision. He did hire, (laughs) he did hire Fran. uh, But, you know, uh, you know, Heller, he did hire. That was an interesting situation going, looking back almost 10 years ago because there was discussion about eliminating the sport and um, it took him a long time to come to Heller. In his defense, he, he hired Heller. Why, why complain about it? But, you know, so uh, and, and then you, you can also go on the other side of things, which is academically the, the department's better than it's ever been, that there are better facilities than they've ever been. And and so there are good and bad, like with anybody who's been in that chair for a long time. But I think right now it's uh, I don't think the critical mass is behind him, at least politically. And that's never a great place to be when you're in a position like that
3: yeah you know, we haven't heard anything from Barbara Wilson on this stuff, have
1: we? No, we haven't and, and that will that's not a surprise that <laughs> i mean
3: i i haven't I've uh, only the, talked to the the last two presidents at Iowa. I'm not really sure what they do <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. what are they doing?
1: Great question. I've only seen Barbara Wilson a few times um she really hasn't put her imprint on the university. As far as I know, Bruce Harold was Gary's biggest supporter. Yes. Um, And then there were a lot of people pushing around 2014 to push out Gary Barta and he supported him, supported him the entire time. So, you know, Sally Mason was a huge supporter of Gary Barta and there were some people pushing around 2013, 14 for a change. And she said, no, she stuck with him. So I think it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is of this. She could come out and say, I support my athletic director and that's final. Or she could come out the other way and say, I asked for his resignation, you know, because um, I think it's, uh, you know, it, 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 neither scenario would would surprise me based on everything I've seen over the years.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we will get Kirk a couple weeks Spring football kicks off. There's pro day. Uh, I think it's the week after spring break, which is yeah. next week. So yeah. we've got some time yet before, uh, before we get to that. Let's, uh, let's talk some football, Scott. Um, instead of talking about off the field stuff, but we didn't need to talk about that stuff because it's important and it's a part of, uh, the storyline here at the University of Iowa. But, uh, you were down in Indianapolis last week and, uh, by all accounts, my boss had me do some, combine uh capsules so I went back and looked at some of the performances from the eye of the five Iowa Hawkeyes that were there and it seemed like uh seemed like they all did pretty well
1: they did outstanding Rob um I went back today looked to look historically by how they performed not only in their own categories which were tremendous but Historically against other Iowa figures. And let's, let's start with Riley Moss, who, uh, you know, we could always talk about, we could talk about racial bias in that situation if we (laughs) want. I did write a little bit about that. Um, He is the fastest, tied for the fastest cornerback from Iowa to ever run at the Combine. 4-4-5, tied Michael Ojemudia for the fastest. He's the, uh, tied for the fourth among all defensive backs. Uh, just a hundredth of a second behind uh, Dane Belton and Jordan Bernstein, who are four four three, or I should say 200th of a second, and then Bob Sanders, who ran a four four zero. Freak, yeah, freak. I mean, to be that fast and then explosive, <laughs> no wonder he was so good. Right? Um, when you look at vertical, that was he's the third all time among Iowa DBs, which Bob Sanders forty one. He's, he's that's <laughs> by, insane. By you're gonna you jump five, 41.5. Uh, Bernstein was 41, and then Riley Moss 39. Um, Riley Moss has the the best broad jump among defensive backs in Iowa history, at 129 inches. Um, Bob Sanders it was at uh, 128, so he beat him there in that one. So uh, when it comes to you know, and, and it's not an easy group <laughs> to, no. to, to be a part of. I mean, you know, in some of those carry, like he was the twelfth fastest. Um, you know, his vertical was sixth, his broad was fourteenth, but he, I thought overall, he impressed me with his. I knew he would, but he really did impress me with his performance. The others were equally impressive in their areas. Uh, Jack Campbell. One, you know, from among the linebackers, the broad. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the three cone, the shuttle was second in the vertical and the broad, and uh, his vertical was the the best of all time among linebackers at Iowa, uh, and his, uh, his three cone was second. I mean, in you know, all these other categories, likewise, Sam Laporta. Was in the top three to four in every single category in Iowa history. And that is a good group. We all know that with the tight ends. So you know, Noah Fant Kittle was ahead of him, but his four, five, nine was third best in Iowa history behind Fant and Kittle. Um, and then while he was there, he was uh, second in the three cone, third in the 40, fifth in the 10 yard split, which is really impressive, sixth in both the vertical and broad among tight ends. So they all made money. They all, it's like, we knew how good of a player they were. They have to go to the underwear Olympics to prove it in some ways, put their stamp on it and they all knocked it out of the park. And then finally you start talking to them about, um, in their interview sessions, they, they performed exactly how you would think Kayvon Merriweather was fantastic. So, you know, Riley was good. Uh, Sam and Jack were over, you know, just tremendous. And, um, uh, You know, so, and and Lucas Van Ness was good too, you know, and I don't mean to shite you know. I mean, like, (laughs) this is how big of a freak he is. In the 40, he ran 4.58, which shattered the defensive line record at Iowa, which was 4.75 before him. So, um, and he was pretty good in most categories. Who was that? Christian Ballard. Hmm. So, um, then Claiborne, Kluge, you know, all those guys. After that, so you know he was he was really good, but I mean when you're talking to them on the podium, they get usually about 15 minutes or so. Kayvon, Sam Laporta, and Jack Campbell all stood out as exactly the character guys that you've ever been around, and and they they will go far with with their I'm sure in their interviews with the teams. They were equally as impressive.
2: Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Milwaukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy
0: them.
3: How much do these performances impact draft stock Oh,, they do. you know what they do is they
1: either ace and, and it's not that you're going to draft somebody strictly off their 40 time, but but it's like with uh, with Sam Laporta going four five nine, it's like, well, okay, you know I, I wasn't sure you know you, you didn't want him to run four seven nine, and you weren't really sure if he did or not. And so the fact that he runs four, five, nine, it's like, okay, we like his competitiveness. He catches the ball well. He
3: yeah, the a- film is there. Yeah. I mean, you can't watch the film and not be impressed.
1: Right. And so you look at that and you go, okay, well, you know, the, the, that's those, that's a great time. You know, it's, it, it solidifies that. You know, Jack uh, Lambert, I mean, Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I got to compare him to in some ways all these things just do nothing but say, Oh, wow. You won the, th- you know, you, you three cone and six, seven, four. And the next guy was seven seconds. Um, you've got the lateral movements and quickness t- that's necessary to be a, you know, terrific uh, linebacker at this level. And Oh, by the way, your tape is off the charts. And so is every single intangible quality that you could display. <laughs> you know, this is a guy we want on our football team. So it, it just kind of, shapes it up you know if he would have ran five flat then they're like ah i don't know but yeah you know so it's more of a matter of just confirming the tape if anything else
3: yeah and for jack it's probably just finding the right fit uh, a defensive fit because there's some defenses he's probably not going to have a position yeah and there's others where he may have multiple positions
1: yeah and like with him it's it's a matter of you know, some teams will run like a, more of a three-three or a three-four, where maybe they want somebody. You know, maybe they want a thumper like him in the middle. You know, to be one of the inside backers that they could play three downs, but just to kind of take up. But then there's other teams that run like a four-two-five that prefer faster linebackers. Uh, and I'm not saying he's not fast because he is, but they they prefer just a guy who's a little more quick twitch. And then there then there are teams like I could just totally see him with like the Detroit lions and Dan Campbell's like, Oh man,
3: this is my guy.
1: You know, he's a, he's a killer out here. He's great. You know, so that that it's really going to be about teams that really want you. And, and then finally teams that, you know, want to invest in a linebacker at that stage, probably second round um, like comparing your team and my team, the the jets, it would be really smart he would solidify an already pretty good defense. But then you look at um, the Bears, they have a lot to work on. Linebacker isn't exactly the most premium position. And therefore, um, it's like, well, we could just still kind of get by with a guy there. We need a, we need a guy who's a defensive tackle because they make a better, you know, or, or an, uh, an offensive tackle too, just because to, they make a more of an impact on the game down in and down out
3: kind of segue into our last part of this discussion here which is going to be um getting to talk some of, uh, some to some of the Iowa football players um the what did we get three or four of the um transfers and then we got um Noah Shannon uh Joe Evans and was there somebody else oh Nico
1: Nico uh, Ragaini,
3: Ragaini. Uh, so we got to talk to them last week. Scott was able to talk to Cade McNamara on the phone because he was an Indian, was not here. Um, not to give away everything that you wrote about, but you told me before we started recording that you were able to talk to some of the former teammates of these guys when you were down at the Combine. What'd you learn there? Just, you know, over overall.
1: Oh yeah, it was great. Um, I talked to probably seven or eight Michigan players who were there all about Cade McNamara, you know, tried to, you know, ask it in a wrong way. And sometimes it's really tough because there's so many people around, but you know, it's like, Hey, uh, you know, how, you you know, what what is Cade McNamara? But anyway, um, one of the things I found out about him, I think that came through in multiple ways was his intangible qualities, his leadership, his toughness, one of the things the punter said, I'm actually writing the story in a couple of days was that you knew he wasn't the best athlete by far on the team. And they had this period where they had to do like these chin ups and chin hangs or whatever for like a long period of time. And you knew that, and it, it took him like, some of the best guys are there for like three minutes. He was there like 50 seconds and then dropped, but he's like, what happened was he was against somebody who was way better athletically. And at 50 seconds, he dropped the other guy did too. And it just told him, look, he's willing to go the, the, as far as he can go before he drops where the other guy just said, Oh, he dropped, I dropped. And, uh, and that's kind of where, um, some of the things we, you know, I, I guess you learn about his competitiveness and, and toughness and leadership abilities. That's what was kind of raved about, um, a little bit more, um, uh, introverted uh to an extent uh but not not in a bad way uh so and then i also i you know one of the guys i i talked to kind of about both uh, uh him and other players was olu olu watini uh the center for um michigan he was also at virginia the year before yeah. so i asked him about nick jackson and he couldn't say enough good things about nick jackson that nick was everything you want from that position and more you know he's like every i guess every thursday night they got together and watched uh thursday night football and played video games and stuff but um just raved about him on the field and everything so i i think you know and and i asked you know like the the tight end for michigan luke schoonover about eric all as well and had some good things. There was nobody there from Charleston Southern unfortunately. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh but overall it was it, it kind of confirmed everything you thought about these guys and and kind of what I was looking for which are high quality um intangibles to go along with some physical prowess.
3: Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to those guys. Uh so we got Seth Anderson, very very gra- grounded, mature Vibe I got from all of these guys, um, confident, confidence from McNamara, definitely very confident, um, measured with what he says. He understands the position he's in, which is very important that he's, you know, the face from a player standpoint, he, he understands the microscope, I think, and the fishbowl he's in, um, Reminded me a little bit, and I'm not going to compare him as a player. We'll see how it goes. But the vibe I got was kind of like Drew Tatish, very, just very confident and, um, focused on, on what you need to do to win a gamer, um, so to speak. And that's kind of the vibe I got from him when he was at Michigan. Mm-hmm. As Scott said, not the most athletic, not the most best arm, not the most talented guy, but we talk about it, Scott this offense has a decent amount of weapons game managers. Okay.
1: Yeah. No question. And the interesting part about it is I, and one question I asked him, I mean, two years ago, he completed 64% of his passes. The last player to do that was Ricky Stanzi in 2010. And he said, look, I, that wasn't good enough for me. You know? So you know, if he's looking at sixty-eight percent now, that would be off the charts. <laughs> well, but but that's way he's looking at it, and good for him. Um, game manager is fine. Don't make you know. And, and Spencer Petras was good in that area. I thought he managed the game well. I don't think he executed the game very well. I think he was struggled a lot when it came to you know actually completing passes. Um, and I th- so, but he's got a lot to prove. You know, he was the guy that was doubted. He was the guy nobody really did want there. I mean, JJ McCarthy was highly touted. He was just kind of a holdover, even though he helped Michigan go to the win the Big Ten championship against Iowa and go to the playoff. Uh, he still was, you know, looked down upon a little bit. So I think he's uh, he's anxious for this opportunity to make this his own. And you know, and you know, the good thing for him is he comes to Iowa, and he it's not that he's viewed as necessarily the savior, but he's not viewed with the same kind of scrutiny that he had at Michigan.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. And um when we were talking to him, I asked him about kind of um kind of his interactions with Spencer and what they've been like. And he said it's more as a peer rather than Spencer you know, being like in a coach and telling him what to do—it's more of a peer relationship and sharing ideas. And I thought it was very showed a, a very you know self-awareness on Cade's part, where he said, "You know, I I, I um I admire Spencer because he's got, he's kind of being replaced by me, like I was replaced." by McCarthy. So it's kind of the same situation. So we have things in common here and they've gotten along really well, got really good feedback from Nico in terms of how they're starting to uh, connect. Cause this is such an important part of the year, Scott, where they're, you know, doing a lot of timing and trying to get timing down. And that'll happen in the, in the spring, obviously a lot. And then through summer workouts, but so far so good, I guess is how I would frame it. Yeah. It seems
1: like things have been going really well. And even when I was trying to kind of get a little bit more background out of Cade about, you know, his days, whether it was a Michigan is recruiting there and all that kind of stuff. He's like, look, I I just don't want to talk about Michigan. I want to talk about Iowa. And I thought that was, Hey, all right, fair enough. I'm not,
3: he hit us with the, yeah. I'm focused. We were cool. You know, that's, I certainly respect that approach.
1: Absolutely. It doesn't, you know, he's turned the page. He wants to talk about Iowa and and, was, and and good for him. That's what Iowa wants, too. They don't want him to think, oh, yeah, well, I was a Michigan. I was this. Uh, kind of like people leaving different jobs. And you know, it always drives you crazy when somebody moves. Well, we did this. We did that. Um, so I, I do like what he's brought. But I think, really, it's all going to come down to – I think he'll be an improvement at the position. I think he's a good player. It's really going to come down to offensive line. And you got a chance to talk to, what, One Parker – is that how you pronounce it? Day one? I, I thought it
3: was Dejan, but it Dejan. could be Dejan. I probably should have asked him.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get another. You chance. know what
3: those? Uh, you know what those interview sessions are like yeah, though, when right. they jam them all into that little foyer in the, in the yeah. bottom of the facility. Exactly, <laughs> pretty jammed up.
1: Yeah, so Dejan or De, you know, uh, he to me is is going to be really pivotal if he can play right tackle and play it well you know this team could be a pretty good team you know and the offensive line could be a, look like a pretty good unit so um what did you get from him and what what are your impressions
3: i'm going to write something on him um hopefully this week i wrote about noah and uh, Joe coming back last week, I felt like they deserved um mm-hmm. the attention over maybe some of the transfers, which we'll have plenty of time to write about. But those guys uh coming back are obviously that's a huge, huge win for Iowa to get that much experience back on the defensive line, even though it's a, a talented unit. But mm-hmm. Parker was really personable. And again, self-awareness understanding that he needs to become more technically sound. And, just really open and uh, you would imagine they'd be willing, but very attentive to what he's being taught by a lot of offensive line coaching experience in the Iowa football program. He can go to Brian, he can go to Kirk, he can go to George Barnett, um, you know, if Reese Morgan's around, well, he he has a lot of, he understands the resources he has and he seems really willing to learn and get better i think he i, I asked him i was like you know you, you go uh to saginaw after high school were you under recruited he goes no man i was 220 pounds coming out of high school Wow. so um he really was appreciative of of you know his time uh at saginaw and their um you know Getting him to where he is now. And I think he's just, and this is the good thing, right, Scott, about the transfer portal and an ability of a kid like that who's 220 pounds coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. He's really good friends with Kayvon, too. We had a good conversation yeah. about that. But um, just sometimes guys aren't ready coming out of high school. And if they can go to a D2 school or a Juco or wherever and then make the jump to a power five, it's great.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. And the, the good parts of the portal to me are those stories. Um, Rusty Neff, when he gets here to Iowa, you know, Rusty, he just looks like a Rusty, but, but, you know, that's a guy who's going to prove himself, you know, the way uh, Jack Heflin did, you know, and, and make that leap up to a higher level and prove yourself. And, and somebody like Rusty is exactly what Iowa needed the last couple of years. I mean, a, a Kyler shot, Cole Banwart plug and play. He's going to be tough. He's going to be physical. He's going to do everything he ask him to do um, and win the each snap. That's really what it's going to be about for him. And, uh, and then there are players that, you know, after three years or whatever, aren't on the trajectory to seeing game action. And well, you know, then it comes down to, is it important to play or is it important to stay? And um, sometimes it's like uh, Dallas Kratta stay, get your degree and then go. Absolutely perfect. Nobody begrudges anybody there. Or it's you get through the you know, two and a half years in your second major spring practice, and you're not even cracking the depth chart. It's like, yeah, my clock's ticking. <gasps> Excuse me. So I think that's that's the hallmark of the, the transfer portal always has been. And and uh, you know, the, the problem gets is there when players transfer to programs for the bag. I mean that's part of it too. I mean, you can't be too critical because
3: Yeah, and Cade to talk about that. I mean he to his credit he said, you know, I the main thing for, for for me was finding a fit from a football standpoint, but he goes, I'd be lying if I didn't say the NIL money wasn't a part of it. Well, exactly. It has to be. It yeah. is. You know, I mean why not anybody else in the position would do the same thing.
1: You're a quarterback. Uh, you know, there's actually Uh, one of our, one of my colleagues at the athletic mentioned this, that it's actually smarter for a lot of these quarterbacks to, uh, explore an extra year and transfer, um, whether it's Cade, but you know, guys like Devin Leary or whatever, rather than, than try your luck at the NFL, because at best you're, you know, look at like Nate Stanley, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if he would have came back in the NIL era and had an extra year at Iowa, he could have made some serious money or go somewhere else and make some serious money versus the NFL. You're a seventh rounder. You're cut. Maybe you make the practice team, but really your, your career's over at that point. So you might as well make it and play. and How, play many, for,
3: how many teams in the big 10 West have transfer portal quarterbacks this next year in 23? Is it most? It's most of them, right? Yeah. Um, well, Mordecai's at Wisconsin. Mordecai and they've got other ones. Too. And yeah. And yeah, I has got probably, two guys.
1: Yeah. And, I'm not – Minnesota, I don't know if they'll go with uh, uh, the, yeah. uh, the guy with the Greek last name. <laughs>
3: <Yes>. long, <laughs> yeah. long, tough spelling. Right. Um, oh, gosh. But I, Illinois I, added somebody, I think. Yeah. Let me, um, Purdue got the kid okay. from Texas, right? Cord? Yeah. Uh, he's, um, uh, Hudson Card. Yeah. Card. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be more of – you know you want to develop your own guys but it's just interesting at this stage that the you know these teams in the Big 10 West are trying to improve that position from the portal
1: you know um Nebraska with Casey Thompson last yeah. year you know yeah. he, he played his best game in Iowa City so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, more power to him, but you know, you, you got you know a guy what an Oklahoma guy, Quinn, not Quinn, Evers, I uh, can't remember his name. Going to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got another Evers. guy from what's that?
3: Was it Evers?
1: Yeah, yeah, Evers. And then got, I recruited him. Yeah. And then you got Braden Locke I want to say his name is going to Wisconsin from Mississippi State the other way I know him for sure is he's he actually spells his first name the way we spell our son's first name which is uh b-r-a-e-d-y-n which is so unusual so I was like oh my god somebody done it just <laughs> like us first time I've seen it um yeah so it, it's all it's all musical chairs but it's about opportunities and I don't know I mean you look at Iowa's schedule you look what they return on defense, the guys that they bring in, you know, Terio Thompson I think could could be a rotational guy at tackle. Jeremiah Pittman is ready to make that jump to be a rotational tackle. Um, Jackson Filer is a guy I really want to see because if he's got the burst off the edge, they'll find a place for him. Kind of like you know wasn't that long ago. Remember when we were writing about stand up linebacker being an edge guy and they wanted Amani uh, Jones to do that and Jaden McDonald. And it turned out to be Joe Evans was the best of the bunch. Yeah. You know, and maybe Jackson Filer gets that opportunity to do that.
3: I'm not worried about defensive line. Mm-hmm.
1: No. You're
3: I think, right. I think it comes down the offensive line and yeah. the development there. Because that if they struggle like they did last year, it's going to be a long season again, even with an easier schedule.
1: Yeah. They'll still be in the they might be struggling to get to the 325, the drive for 325 for Brian, <laughs> you know. Uh they'll they'll have a couple of breakout games. They play Utah State, they had a bad defense, and they'll they'll get over that top. But but really it's a matter of uh yeah, if, if what you want to see are your younger players getting better. Luke, you know, Logan Jones, uh Mason Richmond, Connor Colby. If you can get that, those threesome just really taking that big step forward. Rusty Neth, can any walk in there and just, or Feth, I'm sorry, I kept calling him Neth, but Feth, walk in there and be rusty. <laughs> and then, and then Dejon Parker, if that can happen, you know, then you look at wide receiver, Nico Raggini is a, is a good player um, when healthy. If Seth Anderson can be a good player and then you throw on, you know, Deontay Vines, if he can make strides, um, he talked to him up quite a bit. Uh, Cade did. So if if you get three and then maybe one more emerges somewhere, you know, then then I, I think four is is a good optimum number outside. So you know, and I we haven't talked about running back, but I really like the running back.
3: Yeah. And I think, uh, I think Jacob Bosta could be a guy that kind of takes a step forward this year. He was slowed by injuries last year, but I liked his film when he was coming out of high school. And I think, uh, got some size to him. Mm-hmm. Um, can run good hands. So be interested to see a big spring for him, big spring for a lot of guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's going to get a new look, you know, if you're at receiver other than, other than Nico. I mean, Brody's not really going to be there. Um, Deontay's had, you know, last year was the first time he really got a good look, you know, and then he got hurt in camp and came back, but this is, a, is time to really make those strides. And uh, Jacob Bostic, as you said, you know, Alec Wick, and, yeah. you know, some, some other guys, uh, you know, the Ohio state guy that came in, you know, so you know they, they got an opportunity there and, You know, who knows, maybe they'll talk talk a basketball player or two to come over and (laughs) hang out, right?
3: Well, I didn't do this read yet, Scott, so I will. Now, I didn't take breaks in between here either, so it's going to be interesting putting the ads into this podcast when I'm done. But that's what editing for Uh, support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That's sui.org. Appreciate the support for Systems Unlimited. They do great work. Check them out. I guess that's it, Scott. I think that's a good place to stop, and we can come back on Wednesday and focus uh, more on basketball and wrestling and baseball as well. I think we should get get into that. As you said and mentioned earlier, baseball is really off to a great start. So um, a lot of – Lot to talk about there as well. But uh let's wrap that with the football talk. And uh we'll probably talk some more football on Wednesday too. There's always football to talk about, but uh we appreciate our sponsors. Uh appreciate you guys for listening and adjusting your schedules to ours. And uh maybe next week we'll do it on Thursday. That'll be the first day of the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, well, let's give it a shot. Let's see what we can do. It might have to be the day before, depending on what the <laughs> tournament brings, you know. But uh
3: Yeah crazy time it's madness
1: it's March right March madness I mean at this point um you know it's kind of up in the air I'm I'm supposed to be slated for Des Moines which actually is that Thursday uh but I don't know if if, you know what happens you know Iowa women more than any other program on the women's side is has such a strong interest and with the most exciting player in America that maybe I'll be there instead I don't know so um I I, I kind of doubt we'll be there on Thursday too.
3: Yeah. It's a wait and see. It's yeah. a wait and see for me as well. See where the men go yeah. decide if it's better to stay back and um, cover the women's team, which as you said, has a lot of interest right now. Who's in Des Moines. Mm. Time will tell. We'll keep yeah. you guys posted uh, of our schedule, but we will be back this Wednesday, March the 8th. Uh, we'll be in the morning most likely on Wednesday. And we'll talk some more Hawkeye athletics Uh but thank you guys for listening. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, and we'll talk to you in a couple of days. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.